0: Good morning everyone, my name is Michael Ocho. I'm one of the elders here, if you don't know me already, Um, but I'm glad you're here. If you're visiting today, welcome, and it's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Um, Today we're going to be preaching, I'll be preaching, and we'll be looking at a a passage from Luke, uh, chapter 23, verses 26 through 43, and if you'll just rise and stand me for the reading of God's Word. We'll begin. This is a passage about the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. It reads, As they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they'll begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things, when the wood is green, what will happen when it's dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. We, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray together quickly. Let's pray together. Gracious and Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning, which shows us our crucified Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in the midst of being broken, and bloodied, crucified, still at work saving sinners, I pray you help us, Father, with this message. That as we look into it, we would see your glory. We would see the glory of the sun. And we'd see your amazing love. I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, when I was preparing this message, my kids were asking, they said, Dad, are you going to share any hunting stories in this story? I was like,. <sighs> I told him, I said, well, I will share one. And it only relates to how nervous I am in front of you all right now. And that's, this is, I'd rather be facing a charging bear than to be up <laughs> here. <laughs> and that's a true story. But on a serious note, this is our passage for today. And our text today is probably one of the most well known passages. For people who are on their deathbed, people who maybe who have lived a life of sin, lived a life apart from God, maybe even hardness of heart rejecting God, maybe even having relatives around them, people that have shared the gospel with them and have resisted, and then but yet people who are moments away from dying have an opportunity to believe and trust in Christ, even if they're beyond speaking words and praying a prayer to believe on Christ, even the thoughts could save them. A repentant heart, even in those last minutes, are able to save them. And these are often people who live a life, and up to that point, have nothing good or commendable to be credited to their account. Nothing like a righteous life. And yet, what, here's what we see today as well, is this thief on a cross who up to this point had that same kind of life, Not a good life, but a life as a criminal. And we also see another man who's also unrecognizable. Bloodied, tortured, mocked, ridiculed, spit upon, naked, crucified, and dying. A rabbi from Nazareth who claimed to be the son of God. And people often look at this time on their deathbed, this whole time apart from God, and rejecting him, like I said, without hope. Yet this passage indeed delivers that hope. A God in front of desperately needing sinner, offering a glimmer of hope, eternal life, and peace with him. I believe this passage also offers incredible hope and promise for those among us who are full of life, vibrant health, even in the prime of their life, yet lost today, still weary in darkness, hopeless and alone, apart from God. Maybe even imprisoned and trapped in addiction, like I once was, without hope. Maybe just like me at the lowest point in my life, a wretch, wicked, rebellious, and a declared enemy of God, feeling beyond any hope whatsoever, even seeing it as impossible that God, this God, this Christ, and his work on this cross could even apply to me. Even more, this passage and others that we will visit today will reveal precious and glorious rock-solid promises and incredible hope and joy for us who have believed and have placed our faith and hope in Christ. So let's look at this together. Today I'm going to be really focusing only on a handful of verses, and that's verses 39 through 43. First is, we're going to be looking at is an incredible plea of faith from verses 39 through 40. As we see that these two thieves that were placed on Jesus' sides, one on the right and one on the left, excuse me, opposite sides here, <clears throat> And they're called criminals. In our in our English standard version, they're called criminals. In the King James version, they're well, they're called thieves or malefactors. Um, and when we look at this, these were not just people. Don't usually get executed just because they're criminals. These were most likely uh, very hardened criminals, lifelong criminals, and maybe like today, what we would consider to be robbers or extortioners, kidnappers, drug dealers. Um, murderers, human traffickers, or worse. Not much detail is given in in Scripture for us about who these men might be or who they were. Now, there's traditional writings that do give even names for these thieves, um, but they're not as reliable as what we have in Scripture. And I think that may be even intentional when I consider myself that... You know, to know too much about them might somehow we feel like, oh, maybe I'm better than that guy. I'm not as bad as that thief. But these were criminals, sinners, like all of us here today. And that's in verse 32. We see that they were placed on either side. In verse 39, we see these criminals actually beginning to speak. Now, mind you, their situation was grave. They both were being crucified with Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus Christ was, cruci- was crucified, and his torture was way beyond the extent that these criminals were tortured. Jesus Christ, his beatings began the night that he was betrayed in the garden in Gethsemane, and he was captured by the temple guards, and they began to beat him. They beat him after his interrogation and in the, the nighttime trial. He was then delivered over to Pilate for crucifixion, Pilate scourged him and returned him to Herod. Upon Herod, saying, I, this is beyond me, Herod's men beat and mocked him as well and returned him back to Pilate. And then Pilate, at the final time, when Jesus Christ was being about to be crucified, or he said, I want to set you free and I'll offer you Barabbas instead. You know, when people shouted, no, 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 crucify him, crucify him. They wanted Jesus Christ, the son of God, dead. So Pilate willingly giving in to them, washed his hands, and delivered Jesus to be scourged and beaten once again before being hung on the cross and crucifying. So these thieves, as they're speaking as well, are nailed to the cross, and with every single breath and every word uttered, having to raise their bodies up and to expand their chest to take a breath so they can speak. So even as I say these words here, their words, even the words of Jesus Christ, almost freely, these men were not did not speak that way in the, in the biblical account. But here they were in misery, and verse 39 records them, even at this point and, and of, of darkness in their own lives, reaching the end, and, and hours or minutes away from death themselves, mocking Christ. Matthew 27 verses 38 through 44 reads, then the two robbers who were crucified with him on one on the right hand and one on the left. And the, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross And so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross. We'll believe in him then. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. If he he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were with him also reviled him in the same way. So we see in this passage from Matthew, one of the parallel gospel accounts is that both the both thieves, both of them ridiculed and mocked Jesus Christ in the same way at this, at this very dark time. And then what we see here is that this, this one thief says to Christ, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But, and we could look at that either way, but here the Bible says that he railed on Christ, trying to add the insult to injury when it comes to our Lord and Savior. And so in spite of their pain, the rebellion and the darkness that they were in, even at this very moment, with hard hearts, comes to the surface. Regardless of their crime, they are both truly helpless, with no hope of rescue, condemned by man, and with no hope of righteousness, no hope of righteousness before a holy God. No righteous accomplishments, nothing to point to as good, to somehow declare that they didn't deserve to die this way or they didn't deserve this punishment. Both men were guilty of these crimes, but even in this very moment in the worst condemnation, in their darkness and hopelessness, hatred, mocking, blasphemy, the suffering and ble- bleeding crucified Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And this is where our story takes a turn. In verses 40 through 41, Read. But the other rebuked him, saying, do not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Something incredible happens here. Something miraculous, something that is almost impossible at this moment in time. This other criminal who was at one point just minutes ago, an hour ago, mocking the the son of God hanging on the cross, mocking and ridiculing him the same way as everyone else that were surrounded, that surrounded the cross that day. This man offers an utter, incredible statement of rebuke to his fellow thief. And it starts out with, do you not even fear God? Somehow this thief had associated that this man on this tree, on this cross, had somehow, somehow the mocking of this man offends the God that people should fear, the holy and living God. How is it even possible to go from such seething hatred and mockery to seeing who this man really is on the cross and even seeing himself plainly deserving this condemnation of God of being hung on a cross to declare such a thing in front of the crowd who could easily have jumped in on him and said, who are you now? Who are you now Saying, talking about this, this man being innocent? And they could easily have jumped in on him and, and and added to his misery. The Bible doesn't record that though. But it's as suddenly as if this man, who never feared God before in his life, suddenly has eyes to see. He has eyes to see himself before a holy God. Eyes to see his own guilt. Eyes to see an innocent and suffering savior as Lord and the son of God. But how? How does that happen? How does that happen to somebody who's, who's in darkness, even as I once was without hope in addiction? And I tell you, in my, in my darkest times, you know, in, in my addiction, there was no escape. There was no, I tried to stop and I couldn't. I'd so de- desperately try and plead and even cry, please. I don't, I felt like I was going to die at times and I would, and I could not stop. And then it's like, how? And I, and I would say, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to stop. I'm never going to do that again. And yet the next day, I'd be doing it again. I was in prison to it. And yet, better yet, I was an enemy of God myself. When my daughter passed away, many, many years ago in 1987 of a heart defect. In the middle of of being in, of alcohol and using drugs and all of that, I cursed God. I swore to be his enemy. You did this. Cursing him, living a life of hating him. How in the world would he save me? How in the world Why would he save me? Why would he rescue me? And like this thief, though, it happened. And it happened to me. And it happened to him, I'm sure, the same way. In loving mercy, in John chapter 6, Jesus Christ is speaking and proclaiming the gospel to multitudes. And he, he says, he says, I'm sure he said it with a loud voice, calling as many as he could to himself. He says, all the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. No, not ever cast out. And John 6.44 says, no one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. John 40 says, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on that last day. See, this is a work of the father that begins in the heart of people who are so spiritually lost, people that are entrenched in wickedness and in darkness against him. This father in love with heart full of compassion begins this work and calling you to his son, calling sinners to his son. Ephesians chapter 2, all of us as sinners were described as being dead in our trespasses and sins, but made alive by the power of God in his Holy Spirit. Verses 4 through 5 in Ephesians chapter 2 read, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, God had already started doing this work, even in these moments at the cross, even when this man, this enemy of God, this thief, this lifelong criminal was rejecting him. God was already at work putting Jesus Christ there right next to him. And so we see this incredible plea come to life in this thief that's hanging there. This thief who now becoming fully alive, blood pumping faith, moving through his body as he turns to Jesus and pleads, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What an incredible plea that is. How is it possible when you look upon this beaten, bruised, bloody, and naked Savior on a cross next to you that you would even look at him and say, you have a kingdom? You? a kingdom that's better than this one, a kingdom that's more powerful than this one here that's crucifying you? Would you believe it? As you look at that cross, that somehow this man has the power to save, to rescue, would we believe it? What an incredible plea from this mocking thief now alive now transported from a place of hardness of heart and spiritual blindness to what we know to, from, as being spiritually dead to that of being spirit-regenerated, life-breathing, born again, beholding a world of vibrant color for the very first time, and seeing with new eyes and new vision the Son of God, the King of kings. And if so, this guy, this man on the cross next to him, this, this Son of God, and if he is that, Then indeed, God and Lord of heaven and earth, the one who could have called legions of angels, even at this very moment, to escape the cruel whips, the torture, and the cross, and to to decimate his enemies. This king with a kingdom that is beyond the kingdom of mere men, a kingdom eternal and untouchable by any corruption, ever glorious and unshakable, this thief somehow must have believed that the only way that this bloodied and tortured dying son of God could be on that cross if it was his purpose and his intention to suffer and die. He did not need to understand it or all of it, but just to believe in the plea and a call upon the name of the Lord. And he did just that. I love how the King James Version of this renders this passage. It says, and he said unto Jesus, Lord, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, Lord, this Lord on a cross. And now we have an incredible promise from the cross when we look at verse 43. Verse 43 reads, and he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. What a shocking and amazing promise. What amazing grace and marvelous mercy after being mocked, ridiculed, and rebelled against an entire life by this criminal next to him, Jesus, knowing this, is the reason he bore the cross. And not just the cross, but the full wrath of God in place of this thief. Surely both of these men would die, but only one could bear the wrath for the other. For Christ was innocent And without need for payment for his own sin. The Bible tells us that he never sinned, nor was there any guile or evil speech ever in his mouth. First Peter chapter two, verse 23 to 25 reads, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. And then again in 1 Peter 3, 18, for Christ also suffered once for the sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's me, and that's you. Second Corinthians 2, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 5.21 declares this again for us, making it even very clear. It says, for our sake he made him who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And even in full obedience to death, Philippians 2.8 reads, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross this cross, Christ is the full substitution for sinners like me, like all of us who are entrenched in sin, or maybe like me enslaved enslaved to addiction, criminal, rebellious at heart, and also for the proud and self-righteous. Those, maybe even here today, who would somehow think that they can escape the full fiery wrath of God against sin by having a life of good works or maybe of just not being as bad as that other guy. But no, the Bible is clear. There's none righteous, no, not one. We have all sinned. We are all guilty. And we all have it coming. Romans 3.19 tells us, now we know what happens. Now we, excuse me, now we know what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. This promise made here to this desperate man who is empty and without any meritorious accomplishment or good work, without hopes, without hope, and minutes from certain death is a rock-solid guarantee <clears throat> to him and sinners like you and me who have placed our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. that at that appointed time, which should have resulted in instant wrath and fury of God, will instead be a place of his glorious love, grace, and a paradise, a heavenly place and abode of God, of pleasures forevermore. 1 Corinthians 2.9 reads, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. And I can imagine quite a bit. When I was CGI, nowadays, I mean, some of my favorite books coming to life in just incredible ways. And, and, but even beyond some of the most heavenly scenes that people and the greatest CGI creators can do. What God has prepared for us is even greater. So what does that mean for us here today? For those of us who like this thief, who have lived their whole life apart from God, who maybe even here today, who grew up in a church, hearing the same gospel message over and over again, and just saying, that's ah, not the time or perhaps any of us who, whatever, regardless of our circumstance, have never placed their faith and hope in Christ. God's message to you is it's not too late. You're not too far gone. You're not beyond hope. No matter how lost you may feel, even at this moment, Jesus, the Son of God on a cross, lovingly calls you to himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus calls and says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And again, from back to John 6, 37, it says, all again, all the Father gives me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. What a promise. If you come to him and if you believe in him and you trust in him, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, he promises he won't cast you out. He'll never cast you out. That's his promise. And you may be thinking, well, what if if I fail tomorrow? What if I sin as soon as I leave church today? He'll never cast you out. His blood, his death on the cross pays for your past, your future, and even your present and your future sins. He'll never cast you out. Not ever. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God stands waiting, looking like the prodigal father, looking afar off for his lost child. Seeing his son in the distance, he leaps up unashamedly, gathering his clothes, leaping jumping, running toward his son. Full speed, a heart full of compassion, mercy, and unfailing love for his child who's returned, his forgiving arms wide open, Wrapping his repentant and prodigal tight in his arms, even before his son can open up his mouth and say, Dad, I'm sorry. He's already in the embrace, being covered with the kisses of the father. That's our God. Will you, like this thief, like the prodigal, repent and turn to Christ and trust him today? Will you believe and trust in him as your only hope? He is calling for you. He's looking for you. He's waiting for you with arms wide open, full of love, mercy, forgiveness, and promise. But what does this mean for us who've already placed our hope and faith in Christ? It means on that day and on that time that's coming for each one of us, at our last breath, What a joyous assurance we have. Even joy knowing what awaits as we break free the confines of this world into the pure and indescribable light of his glorious presence. To hear his voice speak those words that I know I don't deserve. Well done and welcome home. It also means that not just on that day, but that all the promises All the promises of Christ are ours, all of them. And it's now, not for then. It's for now, and it's for today. His promise to never leave or forsake me. His presence with me, always. Even in the darkest moments, even when my legs and heart would crumble with grief, He's there. Even when the bottom falls out of my weak, he is there. Even when you face whatever fear, whatever darkness is trying to bring you down, He is there. Even in depression and loss, tremendous loss, He is there. Nothing now can ever separate you from His love. Depression, failing health, failed parenting failed or struggling marriage crumbling finances covid and even war all of his promises are sure and rock solid for each one of us romans 8:1 says there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in christ jesus romans 8 chapter 31 through 39 says what then shall we say to these things If God is for us, who can be against us? He that did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. And more than that, who was raised and who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or even a sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long, and we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. At this very moment, the very moment that Steve took his last breath, he truly was in paradise, truly was in paradise. Jesus is our paradise, rock-solid paradise. Our Lord, in all of this, offers us his loving care and kindness as our good, good shepherd. We are his because he chose us, because he called us, calls us from death to life in him. This Lord on a cross, this dying, bloodied son of God, calling people, calling all of us to faith in him. Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in path of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. My prayer is that we all live a life full of hope and confidence in our Lord Jesus Christ, remembering his promises for you and his presence with you always until that way we, the day that we all join him in paradise. He is our paradise. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you so much for your great love that we see on this cross crucified. Father, thank you for the glorious resurrection of your son. Father, that cements and seals every promise for us. Thank you, Father, for what amazing grace and forgiveness to us all. I pray, Father, that you would help us to walk and to live in those promises without fear, fully assured that you're with us all the way to the end. And I pray if there's any here today that have yet to trust in you, Father, that you would do that work in their heart to make them alive, to cause them to breathe and to see with new eyes all of this. We ask this in Christ's name, amen.